411Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. Stay the world. 411Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl. How are you feeling? In this age of the aftermath of the George Floyd killing and in the midst of coronavirus, what are the solutions that are out there? What are the lessons that we can learn from all of the things that we're going through? Hello, everyone. I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. I have five guests who are joining me, and they are a holdover from our last podcast. So this is part two. Um, we have a lot to talk about, and these are young men who are in the Gen Z age range, so we get that young perspective. And I want to introduce you to them because we, again, we have a lot to talk about, so I don't want to take up much of that time with just me. Carl Greer, 25, soon to be attending UW-Madison, pursuing a PhD in education policy, currently living in Michigan, a former Milwaukee resident. Elijah Juan Cawthon, uh, 23, he's a teacher, went to Shorewood High School. Uh, Dewan Cherry, 24, he is the founder of Melina Link, and this is a sh- social media company. He lives in Milwaukee. Monty Berry, 22, works for Pro Squared, a nonprofit in Atlanta, formerly of Milwaukee. Alan Estrada, podcaster. Uh, and the name of the podcast is Estrada Ornada. I like that name. Welcome back, guys, and thank you for sticking with me. Thanks for having us. Thanks. There was this delay because they have to remember to unmute. So thanks, guys. Um, We were talking a lot. You know, we talked about the George Floyd killing by the Minnesota police officer who kind of drove his knee into the man's neck and uh, Floyd could not breathe, gasping for air, saying, I can't breathe. And he died. Uh, A lot of protests came from that. And with these protests, we're doing this in the age of coronavirus. And we talked about that, too, kind of the the two merging. And you guys said from what you've seen when you've been involved in the protests that a lot of people are taking precautions um, using their mask, which is a good thing. But I want to kind of talk about a little bit more from this um I guess, momentum that we're going through. Because we talked about the fact that there have been killings in the past by police officers, but the response has not been this intense. And we were mentioning the fact that a lot of people are um, confined. They can't go anywhere. So they are looking at social media, looking at the TV, and they're being inundated with the George Floyd killing. And that has brought it to the forefront of so many people. What do you think, as far as um, with the protests, do you think it really is going to carry on? And when I say that, I mean, people are energized and they have their signs, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. But is this going to carry on, say, to the ballot box? Will people vote? Where will this lead? What do you think? Uh, me personally, I pray. I 
pray that it does keep going. Uh, you said it just right. It's momentum. And um, but like we mentioned previously, this is not new. You know, Trayvon Martin, 2012, Eric Gardner, 2014. You know, this has been ongoing. And uh, right now it has a different feel to it. And uh, we mentioned why, you know, previously everyone's confined, everyone's in the house. And I'm just hoping it's not something that's going to be um, temporary. You know, as things open back up, I hope we don't we don't forget about it. And uh, I think one of the things that um, has been standing out to me, especially is um, a lot of the companies, a lot of the corporations and businesses putting out statements and things like that um, for them. You know, I think it's nice to see, but I hope they're not doing it just because they know their dollars are on the line mm. because it's the popular thing to do. I, I want to, you know, see the same energy in you know, a year, two years, three years down the line. And I want to see actual change. Uh, you know, you made a statement in 2020 when it was popular, but have you changed anything? So what are your hiring habits? What are what are your turnover for black people? You know, are you giving them one, two, three chances like you would a white employer? Uh, who are your managers and supervisors? Are you hiring black people in power? You know, do you have officials and directors? Um, are these African-American people? So you can kind of put out the statement. But, um, you know, I want to see some pen to paper and I want to see some things actually get changed within the community and within companies and things like that. Uh, so I really have been praying that this is something that is ongoing. Yeah. Anybody else? Um, I agree. And to piggyback off of what Mont said, um, yeah, like these big corporations are putting out the statement about how much they care and, and, and everything, but like who's at the big table, you know what I mean? Like you can preach your diversity and let's say, look at all, look at all these people that we got, but who's like, at the head of that like is there diversity within your um within your um executives the people that are cute like that that make the make the deals and within your company um and i also hope that um that this isn't a trend this isn't something that like is momentum like you're saying and then it just dies off slowly like check in with your friends like in a year and see if like that energy is still the same about how much they care and how much they want things to change because it's so easy to do right now. It's so easy to be, to just say black lives matter, you know, but in the past, where was that? Why wasn't it? Why, why weren't you doing it in the past? Why is it, why, why now, you know? So of course, yeah, definitely. Um, one, I, I pray too, that this is pushed forward and there's actual change after, um, after this all. Yeah. yeah I would say the ballot, I would, I would definitely say the ballot box is, is the goal. Honestly, I, I, Bill Gates, he uh, talked about, um, he was on CNN, I believe he did his own like personal interview or something like that, where he talked about lack of leadership. Um, obviously, he didn't uh, uh, say anyone uh, specific, but we should know exactly what he's talking about when he says lack of leadership. And he talked about, because of that, that's why uh, you have the United States being, uh, with the corona cases specifically, like, so high. And the death felt so high. And he talked about how there are other countries that are uh, basically being back to normal. Obviously, they still have the precautions in place, face masks, um, double sanitizing and things like that. But because we, you know, because of our lack in leadership, we didn't think about that until like after um, basically post-COVID where we want to like gather resources and things like that. Um, he talked about other specific countries. I didn't uh, listen to the full thing through, but he talked about how there, how there are other countries there the, like they are recovering a lot quicker because they act like they were already um, uh, thinking about this two, three years previously. Like if something does happen to our city, to our peoples, our population, our community, culture, whatever, um, like how can we prepare for this thing ahead of time? He also had a, a TED talk um, 
where he talked about like a global pandemic, uh, in most cases, it will be something of a virus, nothing, uh, nothing nuclear deterrent or anything like that. It would be from a virus and his prediction was correct. And that's why we have this. So um, lack of leadership, uh, obviously we could talk about the COVID stuff. We could talk about obviously the uh, Black Lives Matter and, and just police brutality, racism, but that's that's lack of leadership as a whole. Um, and so, yeah, uh, the goal is the ballot box at the end of the day and for people to make the right decision. Well, you know, let's let's talk a little bit more about this leadership. Where will this leadership come from? I we in the other podcast, we talked about the fact that Gen Z's are very much involved in these protests and um, have you know, gravitated to the cause, could they be interested in running for office? I mean, are these our leaders? Is this where we will find our leaders? I, I definitely think that eventually as our generation gets slightly older, we will start to have those leadership positions. And I think we'll really be able to like radically make changes because Obviously, like you said, we're seeing all this. We've seen this from what, 18, from like when we were in high school till now. We're not even 30 yet. And we've seen all this and we've dealt with all this. And to piggyback off of what some of them said prior, it's also not just about the corporations. I would hope that also a lot of the police force changes the way that they do things as well. Because even the officer who... Um, the officer who killed George Floyd, he had a lot of different, I think it was like warnings or like incidents. Right. It was like almost 20 incidents. And I'm like, who was above him letting him still do what he does? You know what I mean? Like, why was he not reprimanded at all? And so like, that was just crazy to me. And I feel like the police force definitely has to get more training, different they need to figure something out because I don't think people, if if I if I'm at work and I have ten incidents, I'm gonna be fired. And they allow this man to keep roaming. You know that's that's leadership problem also because they were not reprimanding him. So it's like besides the corporation thing, it also goes into police force and all that type of stuff as well. One of the things that I keep hearing. Uh tossed about defund the police you see that on signs what does that mean to you guys because that means it, that phrase uh it means different things to different people when i hear the term defund the police i hear a reinvestment in different services um for instance um mpd Milwaukee police department it was just voted on for them to be removed from um the Milwaukee the public school district. And I was curious to know how much of the budget was allocated towards them. And in their past 2019 budget, they had um, documented $14.5 million to go into safety operations. But then different line items on their budget, they had only um, committed under 400000 to things based on equity, access, and inclusion. So that's a very huge difference. So when I hear de-invest from um, PD. I literally just see other areas that are needed for social services, guidance counselors, um, restorative practices. 
increasing the salaries for people that work in schools, that work in social agencies. That's what I see when I hear that. So. Right. But you're not looking at eliminating the police, right? Uh, eliminating, or are you? Oh, oh, eliminating the police. In some instances, it could be necessary. There are a lot of spaces where law enforcement don't need to be caught and they shouldn't be addressing things. Like, for instance, mental health incidents. It shouldn't be a police officer going to um, someone who's having a mental breakdown because they simply aren't equipped with that type of training to um, assess that situation. There should be other forces in place to do that. But there are instances where the police are necessary and it has to be more distinguishable where police are actually necessary and that they're actually being utilized in the way that they're intended to be utilized in those instances. And so, yeah. Any other thoughts on this defunding? No, <laughs> I, I agree. I agree um, with Carl. Um, defunding doesn't mean um, com completely eliminate. It doesn't mean no more, no more police. Um, to me, when I hear defunding police, I think the same exact thing. Like this money could be going towards something else um, to uplift the communities, um, to to pay the teachers more that are there, to pay the staff more that are there, to um, to have bet like more counselors um, and social workers in the school. Um, all those things can be covered, but instead we're putting it towards one department. And what are we what are we getting from that? Like yeah. what are we what are we actually gaining? gaining from that. So it's going to be interesting to see if like it is defunded what happens um to um, Milwaukee public schools and how and how that culture is going to change because over policing is a problem everywhere. You know the timing of kind of switching subjects a little bit. The timing of Juneteenth was just perfect. Uh you know, we're in this this climate, you know, you've got the protests, the all of that. And then Juneteenth comes up. And a lot in Milwaukee, it's it's a given. We've been celebrating Juneteenth forever. But a lot of other places, not as familiar with Juneteenth. We are about to take a break because I don't want to get started on this and we can't finish it. But with all of this, it seems like there has been a peak on the educational front of Black history, American history involving Blacks, I should say. And that, I think, is a good thing. So we'll talk more about that when we come back on the other side of the break. Stay with us. My, my God. It's another sad day in America. Painful to be introduced to George Floyd during his last breath with a cop's knee on his neck. On his neck. He deserves so much more. How many black lives have to be taken for something to be done? We are not a threat. I am shaking as I touch. This has got to stop. We are sick of it. We need conviction. I just want us all to live. The death will not stop until the powers that be are finally held accountable. Don't look away from the truth until every one of us are free from white supremacy. The world stands with you. Criminalizing and killing of black and brown bodies is not new. It's as old as America. It's just getting filled with. Do you know what it feels like to be hunted? To have a new hashtag for a dead black person every single day? How does one plan a life if they aren't sure they will have a life to plan? 
His name was George Floyd. Say his name. Say his name. George Floyd. Say his name. Say their names. Once again and always, we fight for justice. Black, Black lives, lives matter. matter. Black lives matter. Rest in power, beautiful. Go to blacklivesmatter.com. You could be spreading the coronavirus without realizing you have it. So follow guidance from authorities where you live and do your part. It's important to limit in-person interaction with anyone outside of your immediate household but phone and video chat are safe ways to connect. It's also important to limit any social gathering. This advice applies to people of any age, including teens and younger adults. Visit coronavirus.gov for the latest information. Welcome back to the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. Uh, we were, are going to continue our conversation with our five guests and one of the things that I wanted to talk about in this uh, last segment dealt with um, social media. There was a social media post, a Kimberly Jones, and she was explaining about people looting and how people are, you know, complaining about people. You know, there are protests and people are looting and that's, you know, hurting the cause and she was saying people shouldn't just focus on the fact that they're looting, but they should focus on the reason why they're looting. And she was mentioning that the uh, people, uh, well, she talked about the financial gap between very poor black people and other people and how they were basically hopeless and wanting what they're seeing flaunted in their faces and willing to go through the glass of the windows to get some of this merchandise so they can be part of that. She said, with the why, we should look at the unemployment, uh, the need for food, uh, all of the other things that contribute to it. Instead of what is happening, look at the reason why. Take a look. When you have a civil unrest like this, there are three type of people in the streets. There are the protesters, there are the rioters, and there are the looters. The protesters are there because they actually care about what is happening in the community. They want to raise their voices and they are there strictly to protest. You have the rioters who are angry, who are anarchists, who really just want to up, and that's what they're going to do regardless. And then you have the looters. And the looters almost exclusively are just there to do that, to loot. Now, people are like, well, what did you gain? Well, what did you get from looting? I think that as long as we're focusing on the what, we're not focusing on the why. And that's my issue with that. As long as we're focusing on what they're doing, we're not focusing on why they're doing. And some people are like, well, those aren't people who are legitimately angry about what's happening. Those are people who just want to get stuff. Okay, well then, Let's go with that. Let's say that's what it is. Let's ask ourselves why in this country in 2020, the financial gap between poor blacks and the rest of the world is at such a distance that people feel like their only hope and only opportunity to get some of the things that we flaunt and flash in front of them all the time is to walk through a broken glass window and get it. That they are so hopeless that getting that necklace, getting that TV, getting that change, getting that bed, getting that phone, whatever it is that they're going to get is that in 
in that moment when the riots happen and they present an opportunity of looting, that's their only opportunity to get it. We need to be questioning that why. Why are people that poor? Why are people that broke? Why are people that that food insecure, that clothing insecure, that they feel like they're only shot, that they are shooting their shot by walking through a broken glass window to get what they need. And then people want to talk about, well, there's plenty of people who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and got it on their own. Why can't they do that? Let me explain to you something about economics in America. And I'm so glad that as a child, I got an opportunity to spend time at PUSH where they taught me this, is that we must never forget that economics was the reason that black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Do you understand that? That's what we came to do. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Now, if I right now, if I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you and for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money. I didn't allow you to have anything on the board. I didn't allow for you to have anything. And then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly and everything that you gained and you earned while you were playing that round of Monopoly was taken from you. That was Tulsa, that was Rosewood. There are those are places where we built black economic wealth, where we were self-sufficient, where we owned our stores, where we owned our property and they burned them to the ground. So that's 450 years. So for 400 rounds of Monopoly, you don't get to play at all. Not only do you not get to play, you have to play on the behalf of the person that you're playing against. You have to play and make money and earn wealth for them, and then you have to turn it over to them. So then for 50 years, you finally get a little bit and you're allowed to play. And every time that they don't like the way that you're playing or that you're catching up or that you're doing something to be self-sufficient, they burn your game. They burn your cards. They burn your Monopoly money. And then, finally, at the release and the onset of that, they allow you to play and they say, okay, now you catch up. Now, at this point, the only way you're going to catch up in the game is if the person shares the wealth, correct? But what if every time you share the wealth, then there's psychological warfare against you to say, oh, you're an equal opportunity higher. So if I played 400 rounds of Monopoly with you and I had to play and give you every dime that I made, and then for 50 years, every time that I played, I, if you didn't like what I did, you got to burn it like they did in Tulsa and like they did in Rosewood. How can you win? How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have, that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the f do I give a about burning the football hall of fame, about burning a target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a f You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us.
when we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract. What she said resonated with so many people. I, so many people used this post from social media and she got so much attention from it. And I know all of you guys have seen it. So what did you get from that? Um, the truth. Everything she said was 100% true. There has been a historical precedent that whenever Black people build something up, they build a community, they build a business, that it is destroyed at the hands of um, white people here in America. And that's just a sad fact of our history. Um, it's not really acknowledged. And because of that lack of acknowledgement, we just see this continuous compound on that problem of people are at a lower position than where they would have been if they were able to access resources and wealth that they're supposed to have, but they don't have because those resources and that wealth has been destroyed. So she, she was preaching straight facts to me. Yeah. I think, um, one thing I just want to interject and say, um, I, I do believe in the power of being resourceful with whatever resources that you do have. I think she, she talked about being a uh, bootstrapping mm-hmm. and I'm fortunate enough to, within my company, I bootstrapped every single thing that I have. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, like, I didn't have a venture capitalist. I didn't have any like outside investor come in. Um, I did it all on myself and I'm not saying everyone else can, but I was, you know, luckily and, and blessed enough to have a strong mindset where I'm in a, a good position in life where I don't work for anyone else. I work for myself. Uh, my my clientele are predominantly white and obviously they do trust me. Um, but I obviously don't want to get into that. But I I also believe in whatever resources that you do have, what if it's bare bottom to none, it's all about being resourceful. Um, but I, I, I just would like to add that as well. Do you, uh, are you saying, or are, are you it's, it's, thinking yeah, in terms I, of maybe making an excuse? I would say I, to a certain degree, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, I'm not saying everyone will, can have the, the mindset um, because like I said, I'm from an urban city where um, uh, my freshman and sophomore year, I went to a completely urban school, even elementary. It was like it didn't have as many. It was diverse, but it just didn't have as many resources. So uh, obviously, as I went to middle school, it was just the same school, essentially. So um, it just it went from middle school to high school. I'm not going to name drop the school. Um, but what I'll say is it was an urban private school. And I was fortunate enough to take the leap of faith of going to a better school my junior sophomore or my, my junior senior year. Um, but it wasn't until I realized that I wanted change within my life. I wanted to make it better. Um, and I, I had to take the step within myself of realizing and recognizing, um, okay, this is my current environment. And I don't want this when I'm 20 and 35 uh, years of age. So what can I do to change that? What type of com- uh, connections can I make? What platforms like LinkedIn, like Facebook, can I connect with uh, CEOs and presidents and just say, hey, I'm, I'm interested into photography or videography or whatever. And I'm just looking to make a conversation, have a connection, seeing where I can go with this. I just need someone to take a chance on me. And it was those little steps that I took within myself um, to, to, to get in the position that I'm in. So I, I, I always try to encourage um, African-American high schoolers that, um, you know, uh, 
complaining can only get you so far and that use whatever resources that you have um, to get you to where you want to go. And that's why I, I like to say, use me if you want to. Like, I, I have no problem writing a letter of recommendation. I'll, I'll actually hire you for some work. If you have the passion, you actually want to see something for yourself. I actually do that from time to time. Um, and so I, I, I strongly believe that it's all about being resourceful. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? I, I, I'd like to push back on that notion. Um, so the main articulation of what uh, Kimberly Jones was saying was not around the point of like lack of resourcefulness. It's the fact that when historically black people have been resourceful, their end product has been destroyed. That was like the main articulation of what she was saying. So that's how I interpreted it. And that's how I viewed it. And I, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Alan, yeah, oh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Alan, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, I agree with some of both of their parts. Like, I agree with, I think, um, I think he was trying to say, like, every time we're, as, a, as the Black community, every time they build up, they get it taken down. And I think he was saying, um, that that shouldn't stop you from trying to build up. Basically, from what I'm understanding, he's saying like, when somebody knocks you down, you can't just make excuses and just say, well, I give up. You gotta just keep building and keep trying to do your own thing. And if everything is good, then like you won't get destroyed, hopefully. Anyway, but another thing that I got from the Kimberly Jones uh, video is, I literally, I don't know about any of you, if you guys learned it in middle school or elementary or anything like that, but I literally just learned about Black Wall Street like a couple months ago. And I'm not kidding you. I found this out from like social media. I never learned about it in school at any level, whether it be middle school, high school, college. I attended some college. I didn't hear anything about it, to be honest. The whole Tulsa thing I literally just learned about this so that was crazy to me like I already I knew before the video before I watched her video but before a couple months ago I didn't know about this stuff so I really think we need to do a better job in the education system because why are we ignoring this stuff it, we, we can't move forward if we can't if we can't even look back and tell the truth you know what i mean yeah. like that stuff has just been getting ignored and that's unbelievable to me so we're getting selective history yeah exactly exactly and that's that's an issue in itself and yeah because i i yeah like i said i literally just learned about this stuff probably in the past three four months yeah and that's scary to me because i'm like what like if you're not telling me that what real what are you really not doing yeah. you know what i mean yeah like, so. i understand i understand completely elijah one you had something to add to that yeah to kind of um comment on uh what alan said about dewan and carl's um carl's comment i just want to say that i do agree with uh what kimberly was saying in um in her video it is it is a fact that um History will show that every time that we tried to help ourselves, um, it was dismantled. Uh, 
systematically uh, systemically and um you see that with uh the black panthers you see that with tulsa you see that with um black wall street and all those things where we tried to help ourselves and it was um it was destroyed you know and of course yeah we're resilient we've been resilient forever <laughs> like we freed ourselves like nobody freed us we freed ourselves um so yeah we're going to continue to be resilient and we're going to keep picking ourselves up and picking each other up but when is the accountability going to kick in when are they going to be like okay like yeah we we fumbled like we dropped the ball and this is what we're going to do to help and you can't um Malcolm X once said you can't stab somebody and then take the knife out and then be like all right like go heal like when are you going to tend to the wound that like you caused and until that happens like I don't, I don't, I don't know. People are still going to be angry and you're still going to get the riders. You're still going to get the protesters. You're still going to get catch the heat every time some, every time something happens. And we, we also need more opportunity and resources. Yeah. We, you can be like, oh yeah, you, we got this park right here. You know what I mean? They got it. They got the pull-up bar and, and they got all this stuff and it's right here in your community and you can use it, work out, go work out. You know, it's right there. But if you don't have like, the opportunity, the car to get there, you know what I mean? The capability to walk, like you're not gonna be able to utilize it, you know? Right. And that's the biggest thing that I saw in um, in Shorewood versus Milwaukee, going to school in Milwaukee, uh, attending um, school at NPS, and then my mom moving us to Shorewood and then like um, seeing what Shorewood had versus what Milwaukee had was ridiculous. And the only thing that divides them is a bridge. Mm, so right. the only thing that divides Shorewood and Milwaukee. And it's a shame that like you're not getting the same opportunity. Kids, no, like kids aren't getting the same opportunity yeah. like children. And you know, we're supposed to like they're the foundation. And it's not we're not all getting the same resources. And what does that we're do? Not getting the same yeah, what does that do to a kid's psyche? You know, to yeah, see that. Exactly. You know, and yeah, it's it's great. Definitely need more opportunity, definitely need more resources. And I agree with Miss Jones was saying in her video. Um, four hundred years of monopoly and we we didn't get to collect two hundred every time we passed them. But they did, you know. So we're 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 trying we're trying to we're trying to catch up in a relay race and you know, it's um it's not easy. Right. In the break, we started a conversation dealing with the media and the media's role in all of this. So I, before we end, I wanted to, you know, hit that a little bit. Um, what is, what is the media, media's role? Uh, to tell the truth, you know, to inform. And um, a part of that is uh, taking responsibility. Um, definitely, um, Definitely giving like that the right information, the correct information, and the you know honest information. We're not we're not getting the whole the whole thing from both sides. You know what I mean? It's bigger than just like like Dewan was saying. It's bigger than just like um, the anchors. It's bigger than just the writers. It's the people. It's the people up there. You know um, the Titanic, the igloo, not the igloo. I'm sorry. Um, the um, the iceberg that um, destroyed the Titanic. It wasn't the top of the iceberg. It was the bottom of the iceberg, you know, everything that nobody saw, you know what I'm saying? So that's what gashed the Titanic and had it sinking. It wasn't the top of it, what everybody saw is what nobody saw. So what's happening behind those closed doors in those meetings, um, 
that's where the change needs to come. And that's, those are the people that we need to hold accountable, um, not the anchors, because they're just um, pawns to a bigger chess game that um, people need to learn how to play. And we were talking about kind of the messaging. I guess that's how we got on that conversation with the media, the messaging that is going out. You were talking about the people behind the scenes that you don't see are kind of uh, instrumental in what you do see, what is actually broadcast. But what is happening with the messaging? What are you finding that's disturbing to you? Yeah, I I think more than anything, it's not that it's disturbing. I think it's just more of uh, if it, uh if it puts me at the top you know like we need the ad revenue we need the views we need something that's going to be clickbait we need the thumbnails like there that that's it's it's not that it's disturbing it's just more of an, on the competitive side of things and uh as we were talking before you know as someone that has worked in in news media before and knowing how things operate to the bigger degree of like what can we do to change it um you can't really do anything and to change it honestly um I like to think then create your own media, then create your, then create the the authentic, uh, true uh, storytelling that's supposed to be told. Um, but in traditional media, you still have someone that's um, uh, uh, 35, 40 years and still going off of the traditional uh, uh, news education, I guess would be the uh, way to put it. Um, people that are going to follow tradition uh, through and through if it's, if it's them at the top. If it's more views for them, it's for more advertisements for them, and it's uh, obviously I want to talk about the the capital the capital side of things. But at the end of the day, it's a it's a competition. You know, we have what three four uh, news outlets, and uh, you know, it's to some degree they're somewhat all friends. I'll say that, um, but I'll, I'll say at the end of the day, it's all about being number one. And if we're gonna that competition throw half of the Exactly. Throwing out half the truth with a three, four letter click, something that's clickbait, that's going to lead you to my programming. Then I'm going to do it every single time. Um, I just want to be on top and I want to win. So uh, going back to what Elijah wants to say, yes, the people that you don't see is executive producers. I mean, when we watch movies anyways, when we look at the, we don't really pay attention to the credits. Um, But those are the people that are actually in charge of the full like production aspect that you will see in terms of the result. So yeah, it's the people that you don't see is the executive producers, the right, it's the writers, is the, is the um, uh, I can go down a list, but right. yeah, it's the people that you don't see it okay. essentially. Okay, Monty, I'm gonna get give you this big broad question. Um, what are you hoping that comes out of all of this that we learn from this? What What are your thoughts? Uh, I just hope at the end of all of this, um, we honestly come out equal. I just think it's a shame that, you know, every, well, I don't know if every family does it, but from the majority of the families that I know, you know, at some point, every mother has this, you know, talk with their son about how to act when you're pulled over, you know, how to, how to comply, how to put your hands when you see them. And, and it, it, it's a shame, it, you know, it shouldn't be that way because it's not that way for any of my, you know, white friends or, uh, you know, just, you know, it's just the reality, though. And I hope that, that that that's not something that I have to do for my kids in the next, you know, four or five, six years. I hope that I, that I can, you know, be able to, you know, jog down the street, you know, with my son or be able to, you know, walk through an alley with whatever clothing I desire to have on. Uh, just want to be able to live life like everyone else and um, and be comfortable in my own skin. 
How can we make the police and neighborhood interaction better? You know, that, I honestly do not know. It, it, you know, and I wish I did, but it's just so, for me, it's something that I've just, I've honestly been raised that way to, you know, just make sure that I'm always being safe when I interact with them. I never really thought about it from any other perspective, but being a black male. It's like whenever I encounter police, I'm 110% nice. You know, I'm making sure that I'm extra listening to what they're doing. You know, hey, you want me to get out the car? Sure. No, I'm not asking why. You know, I'm not arguing with them ever because I don't, you know, ever want to end up on, you know, one of the videos or anything like that. And so I've never really looked at it from any other perspective besides how do I keep myself safe? Yeah. And in that, in a nutshell, is a problem. You know, why Mm -hmm. can't we look at them as this is someone to serve and protect? I think that we need to sort of restructure the whole training process for police officers because I, I can't think of right now off the top of my head how many months it is to the academy. I think that needs to be extended dramatically. I think that that needs to be filled with psychological classes, socialism classes, like something to get them more in tune with what they're going to deal with instead of just sending them out. And we don't, we don't really, I feel like we don't really know who some of these police officers are. And they only show us when it's one of these confrontational issues. And I feel like, why, why didn't their bosses know this? Why didn't their, their partners know this? You know what I mean? Like, I, I just feel like we need to do a way better job of training them. Yeah. Even in the act of, let's say, let's say I were to do something wrong and I got arrested. Why does it take four or five of you to arrest me? Why do, why do you have to lay on top of someone? Why do you, like, I get the whole arresting aspect, but I'm just like, in the George Floyd thing, why, why was there even five officers on top of him? What, like, what, what, what are you doing? Why, why does that take that many people? Why is it like, then they want to do like chokeholds and all this type of stuff, why? If you're just arresting somebody, get them in the car and go about your way. That's li- literally, that's your job. You're not there to decide if someone should die or live right in that moment. If they're not a threat to you, I don't understand. Some of the force that they use is kind of ridiculous. Even here in Milwaukee, I was just watching a video where a police officer was arresting one of the protesters and he had his knee on his the back of his head or neck. And I'm like, that I don't think that should ever be taught. Why is that being taught to use? Why is that being okay to use, basically? Right. I feel like our police just need a complete overhaul of their training, to be completely honest. And that is, you know, uh, a lot of proposals are about retraining. Um, and the other thing that, that bothers me as well, I know a lot of police officers and I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of police officers across this country. Some, most of them will never use their gun. Um, And many of them are, you know, stellar people. But it's like when a black person does something 
a crime or something like that. And there's this broad paint, you know, this broad brush of all black people do this. No, well, this is one person who took the wrong turn here. This has nothing to do with me. So it's, it's one of those things where when you put everybody in the same category, um, sometimes that bothers me, although I know that there are bad apples. And then I know that there is possibly training that needs to be done. Uh, they need to kind of look and uh, redo how they're training in certain things so that all of these police officers know what to do. There's no national standard of police operations. You know, there, there are a lot of things, a lot of issues that we have to address. But that broad brush sometimes bothers me. I don't know. Is that just me or do you see that as well? Um, no, that bothers me as well. It can't just be an individual circumstance that depicts what an entire group of people is like. And you see that for police, you see that for black people, white people, et cetera. The list just goes on. Yeah. Um, you just have to make sure you're in that space to display empathy and respect for anyone, no matter who they are, no matter what their skin tone is, um, no matter what their occupation is. And unfortunately, we've continuously seen a disrespect for people that look like us repeatedly. And um, folks are tired of that. Yeah. Okay, guys, any final thoughts? Uh, change the uh, prison industrial system. Uh, mm, that's a big it's one. Private and it's, um, it ruins uh, Black families generationally, and it has been doing that since uh, the end of slavery. So as soon as we start that, that's when we'll, we'll start seeing some, some big change because what we, don't, what, we, what we do is we put somebody in prison and then we call them a criminal, which doesn't make them American anymore. They're a criminal. And then now it's like, uh, it's dehumanizing and it's so easy to brush a criminal under the rug and be like, oh, he's a criminal. So like, we forget he's American and we don't even need to worry about him anymore. He he can't do this, 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 and this. And then when he serves his time, you know, you either serve your time or time serves you. So you got it. It's in that, in that case, it's up to you. But as far as the opportunity that they have after they leave prison is zero to none. And that's like, that's the piece that I was saying. Um, sure, we have resources, but mm -hmm. do I have the opportunity to utilize them? Like, it's too late for me. Like, I made my one mistake. And now that I made my one mistake, it's a wrap. And I won't be able to do that. And that happens so much more in the African-American community compared to the other communities. And that's where you see the effect. That's where you see a lot of sons without their fathers. Uh, and sometimes a lot of sons and daughters without their mothers, too. Right. Uh, so it's like you, these things are happening and they're happening behind closed doors. And I'll add that to the igloo analogy, uh, not an igloo, I'm sorry, again, uh, iceberg the iceberg. analogy, um, where you, sure, we see the George Floyd, we see all these things that are going on, but underneath and systemically, there's so much going on that we don't know it, but we know it's wrong, but we don't know like why, why, why it keeps happening. And um, that's one. That's that's my comment. Definitely, we didn't touch on that. We definitely need to change what's happening um, with our Americans because that's what they are. What's happening to our Americans after they leave? Um, after they've they've been incarcerated. 
You're right. I'm glad you brought that point up. We've run out of time, but to your point, we have the incarceration rate within Milwaukee with black males is very high. They serve their time, they get out, and then people are wondering, well, why isn't he working? Well, he applied for 20 jobs, but he had to put felon on there, and nobody wanted him. So, you know, you serve your time, but it's like a, a lifetime of prison. It's, it's, it's almost like a lifetime sentence. sentence yeah. Sentence. yeah. You know, off one mistake, and this. It's a shame. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, guys, thank you so much. You hung with me for two parts, and you were awesome. So thank you. We've got Carl, Elijah Wan, Dewan, Monty Allen. You guys, I wish you the very best. And I'm hoping that one or two of you may end up on a ballot somewhere because we need your leadership. And I I see it in you. So um, just think about that. And when that thought comes in your head, just go, you know, Beverly said that. So, uh, yeah, I hope our paths cross again. Thank you for an awesome discussion. Thank you for having us. It's your thing. thing. This was very helpful, I think, for all of us. I'm glad you think that. So, you know, maybe at one time we will reconvene and, and talk about a few more issues. All right. And thank you, our listeners, our viewers, for hanging with us for another edition of the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. I'm Beverly Taylor. Now, listen, if you want to sponsor content on our podcast, please do so. Go to the 411live.org. We are a nonprofit organization. We have done many podcasts. I think we're in season three now. So if you'd like to look at previous podcasts, you can, of course, go to our YouTube channel. If you do that, please subscribe. And you can find us on just about any podcast platform. And, of course, we'd love it. And if you have suggestions about future podcasts, we'd love to hear from you about that, too. So, again, thank you for joining us. I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Hope to see you next time.